0: This is the word of the Lord. Matthew, chapter 18. Verses 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for graciously bringing us to this place tonight. We pray, Lord, that as you speak to us through your word, that you would sovereignly and graciously open our ears and hearts and minds to to hear, to believe and understand. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you alone can become more. Be glorified tonight, Father. Be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you for joining us on our midweek service as we continue our series, What is a Healthy Church Member. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here to his disciples about a subject that has become known as church discipline. The Lord lays out for the church the proper steps that are, to, that are to be taken when confronting or correcting sin in the members of the local church. It is important to note that this passage, Matthew chapter 18, is not a suggestion. This passage from the Lord is a command. To the local church. The passage is not a suggestion, rather, the passage is a command. The first scenario that the Lord lays out is a case in which an offense between brothers takes place within the local church. More probable, more than likely, one member of the local church is in sin, and another member has loved that member so much that they have gone to them. ...and pointed out their sin. So let me say that again. It, it, the first scenario is a brother sinning against another brother. More probable though, more than likely it is... ...a member of the local church who is in sin. And another member recognizing that sin... ...loving that member so much... ...and hear how, how that comes about... ...loving that member so much that they go to that member... And confront the member on their sin. Do you hear how the love is connected to that though? They love that member so much that they go to that member and confront them on their sin. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. The ultimate desire in the confrontation or the confronting of sin. Or the correcting of sin. Is that that brother or sister turns from their sins that's the ultimate goal that is the ultimate aim is that they turn from their sins as our lord says if he listens to you you have gained your brother i would like you to think for a moment now put yourself in the confronted person's shoes how do those shoes fit how do they feel Think about it for a moment. You're in the confronted person's shoes. Not the confronter, but the confronted. How does it feel to be there? How would you respond to a member of the local church if they came to you and confronted you on sin? What is your response going to be? I think all of our response would be this. I think we would want to say, well, it depends on the way they did it. If they did it the right way, then I think that I would really appreciate that they confronted me on my sin. I, I think we would all like to say that. Right. Let, let me say that again. I think we would all like to say that, that that would be our response. And I hope that it would be our response when we were confronted, when we are confronted by sin. But ask yourselves this. Am I prepared to be confronted about my sin? Am I prepared? Am I allow? Am I prepared to allow people into my lives, into my life to criticize me? How are you on criticism? Do you take criticism? Well. Do I take correction well? Do I tend to take correction personally, even if I'm wrong? Do I want people that much into my business? Am I submissive? Listen to this. Am I submissive not just to the elders, but I'm also submissive to my fellow members? Those are, those are, are good questions you need to ask yourself, and they are good questions that you need to think sincerely and honestly About your life. That may lead to other questions. Like this. Are we as Christians to live our lives on our own? Or do we as members of this local church have an obligation to one another? Are we supposed to live alone? Or do we have an obligation to one another? Are those obligations that we have to one another merely, listen, are they merely to encourage one another positively? Is that our only obligation is to positively encourage one another? Or do we have an obligation, a biblical responsibility to speak honestly to one another about shortcomings, about faults, about departures from sin, about departures from Scripture, about sin? Maybe that is also our obligation. And could our responsibilities before God, also include such matters even to the point that we make those matters public, if need be. Could such actions ever be an obligation that we as members of the local church have for one another? Brothers and sisters, Jesus says yes. Matthew 18, Jesus says yes, it is. All of that, those are all of our responsibilities and all of our obligations as members of this local church or of the local church a healthy church member then seeks desires yearns for discipline i'm going to say that again this is what we're talking about tonight a healthy church member seeks desires and let's even take it to, the, to take it to the max yearns for church discipline let's deal with some points tonight as we go forward number 1 what is Excuse me, what is discipline? Discipline refers to the training of a child. Discipline, what is it? It is the training of a child. Discipline is a tool used by a parent to train, to correct and cultivate or even educate an individual unto maturity. If you are parents in this place, that is what you are doing with your children right now. You are Training them, you're correcting them, you're cultivating, you're educating unto what? Unto maturity. That is what discipline is. The root word of discipline is this disciple. Disciple is the root word of discipline. A disciple is a student. They are ones who participate to who are participating in a discipline. Unto what? Unto perfection. That is what our response, that is what our job is as disciples of Christ we are to be disciplined so that we can reach the point of perfection in Christ when we leave this place. Those who are disciplined one, those who are disciples, they live under guidelines. They live under specific disciplines that they that that mold and shape their lives. Secondly, so that was number 1, discipline. Secondly, there are two kinds of discipline. There are formative discipline and corrective discipline. So your second point is formative discipline and corrective discipline. I'd like you to think about this for a moment. What are some of your first impressions when you hear the word discipline? What are some of your first impressions when you hear the word discipline? For some of you, hearing the word discipline may uh, recall for you in your own minds Harsh, unpleasant ideas of being disciplined. Or moments in your life where you were harshly and unpleasantly disciplined. You may automatically think of Roman Catholic excommunication. Or you may be thinking of uh, the shunning of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Or possibly, again, extreme examples of abuse that you've endured throughout your life. And I must confess that upon hearing the word discipline... It does not exactly connotate cheery, uh, cheery ideas or cheery moods or cheery thoughts. Upon hearing discipline, we automatically think it's a negative thing. But are there forms of discipline in your lives that have been helpful for you? Have there been forms of discipline in your lives or have there been moments of discipline in your lives that have been helpful or encouraging for you? Maybe at the time they were not. But then later you realized how helpful, how necessary it was for you to experience that kind of discipline. Let us admit right off the bat, none of us are perfect before God. None of us are where we want to be. We are all like Paul. We admit we have not attained perfection. None of us are. Amen. And let us also be honest to admit that we need correction. And let us also assume or not assume that we are where we want to be. Are any of us where we want to be? Are all of us striving for something greater? I think so. We all need to grow. We are not all complete. Therefore, correction is needed. Being challenged, and listen, brothers and sisters, maybe even being broken is needed in our lives. Much of what we experience then in discipline, we must understand, is often positive, not negative. So the positive side of discipline is is this, formative discipline, or positive discipline. If you're taking notes, write down formative discipline. What is formative discipline? It's this. It's the stake in the ground tied to the tree that helps the stake or the tree to grow straight. What is formative discipline? It is the braces on the teeth or braces on the legs. ...that help those crooked teeth grow straight or help those bow legged legs grow straight. That's what formative discipline is. It is for some of you parents who constantly tell your kids, don't speak when you have food in your mouth. Close your mouth when you're eating. And you say it over and over again. What are you doing? You are forming disciplines in their lives that are going to be helpful, beneficial for them as they go forward in their lives. Formative discipline are things that shape the individual mentally, physically, but more specifically tonight, spiritually. Shape and mold the individual spiritually. That is formative discipline. This is the kind of shaping that takes place in our families and in our church as we gain an understanding about God, His will, and how we are to live in this world as His ambassadors. This sermon That's being taught right now. It is a form of formative or positive discipline by way of instruction. It is a part of church discipline, listen, in the broadest sense. What you're experiencing right now, what you experience on Sundays, what you experience with uh, the women of the word or on Thursdays at the race, you are experiencing formative discipline. It is in the broadest sense of church discipline. Discipline is not only a, ma- a negative matter then, but it's also a positive matter. Amen. But there are also times now when members of the local church indulge in sin. And they need to be corrected or they need to be confronted of their sin. That is then corrective discipline. So formative discipline is in the positive sense. Corrective discipline is in the negative sense. And it comes from the members of the local church. Am I a member of this local church? Yes, I am. Are the deacons of this church and the elders of this church members of a local church? Yes, they are. And so are you. So discipline and correction and confrontation does not just come from the leaders of the church. We should never just sit back and say, well, I hope that the elders catch that. But we take responsibility as members of this local church for one another, not to allow one another to go into places of sin and darkness, but that we all take responsibility for one another and seek to stop any of of us from reaching those places that we know will be dangerous for us spiritually. The first scenario that our Lord described in Matthew chapter 18 is within the local church. One member loves the other member so much that they're not willing to listen, ignore their sins. They love the other, their fellow members, so much that they're not willing to ignore that sin that is potentially damaging to their relationship to God and damaging to their relationship to this church. So because they love them and care for them so much, they go to them and step in front of them before they kill themselves. Our Lord Jesus outlined for us the process of corrective discipline in Matthew chapter 18. Paul Commanded corrective discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And exemplified corrective discipline when he confronted, of all people, Peter in Galatians chapter 2. It is our responsibility as members of the local church to call members to turn from sin. Big sins, such as sexual immorality or pride, but also other sins that we don't think about as being big. Slothfulness, gossip. And pursuing false teaching. This may seem like an area. Now I want you to think about this. How do you feel now? It may seem like an area that we're uncomfortable with. Am I supposed to get that much into people's mail? Am I supposed to get that much into people's lives? What if they get offended? But what's a greater offense? Or what is a greater display of love? Going to someone and confronting them on sin, of sin. Or ignoring their sin and letting them go to the wayside. I would say the greater display, the greater act of love is confronting that individual on that sin. And that is exactly what Christ has commanded members of his local church to do. But wait a minute. Pastor, what about judge not, lest you be judged? Isn't that the 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 staple verse that everybody goes to? Well, I don't want to judge. Uh, I don't want to seem judgmental. Did the Lord command, judge not? Yes, he did command, judge not. But how was he speaking? And to whom was he speaking? And to whom was he speaking about? He was speaking to a large crowd on the Sermon of the Mount. And he was confronting all of the misunderstandings of the law. And who were the people that were most often misunderstanding and teaching a misunderstanding of the law? The Pharisees. And he was saying about Pharisees, judge not, lest you be judged. Which is why he goes to the example. Why do you go to your brother who has a speck in his eye but don't see the big log in your own? Who is he speaking to? Pharisees who are pointing out all of the little things in everyone's lives, but not seeing their own hypocrisy in their own lives. So Jesus is not saying, don't judge. He is saying, judge, but judge rightly. Judge, but judge rightly. And it almost seems like when someone says, hey, I don't want to judge, or don't judge me, bro, right? It almost seems like that is their get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, because you're not supposed to judge... And they, they ignore all the other passages which we're going to talk about in a moment. And that is their get out of jail free card. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. But not recognizing that in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, go and confront your brother on sin. Is Jesus double talking? Is Jesus uh, having mixed ideas about what he means? Is, is, is there some kind of disconnect there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are to confront one another in sin. But not confront one another in sin as if we have no sin. But recognizing that we too are sinners. And what is the best way to confront someone with sin? is to share with them how you also struggled with that sin. How you also are struggling but still seeking to ask for the grace of God through your sin. Isn't that the best way? Of course it is. Jesus himself commands us to confront sin listen he commands us to confront sin even to the point that we make it public that we publicly rebuke that sinner in front of the church if need be in reference to church discipline the apostle paul commanded the church of corinth to do what to judge the so-called believer in first corinthians chapter five now why was he judging why did he call the church to judge why because this individual was still claiming to be a believer, unrepenting of his sin and yet still claiming to be a believer. He was sleeping with his father's wife. And the church was not kicking him out of the out of the church. They were accepting him into the church and he thought he was okay. Paul was saying, "This man is a sinner." Judge this sinner. Remove him from the church. Why? Because in removing him from the church, you show him the church does not recognize this kind of action as being Christ-like. You are not a believer if you live in this way. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of, of brother. See that? I'm writing to you not to bear the name of anyone who names the name brother if he is sexually immoral. Greedy, an idolater, reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Paul is saying people who live that way don't call them brother because they're not. Don't judge me, bro. Really? (laughs) Paul is saying if you live in that way, you are not identified as a true believer because true believers do not live that way. A man sleeping with his father's wife. And still claiming Christ as his king. And if that was not bad enough, again, the church is accepting that. Paul is saying, don't associate with anyone who blasphemes the name of Christ and misrepresents Christ by living in such an unrepented way and still claiming to be a disciple of Christ. How can this be? Disciples Disciples of Christ do not live this way. Now that seems harsh. It seems harsh. Paul's response is, no, it's not. That's your job. That's not harsh. That's loving. That's not harsh. That's loving. And I would be hard pressed to 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 go to at least one person in the church who would not automatically in their flesh say, yeah, that would be hard for me to accept if that came my way. But it is your job to guard the gospel. It is your job to guard the church. It is your job to keep this church from being maligned, keep this church from being defiled by the world. How many people do you know that go to other churches and you see them living in blatant sin? You're thinking, how could you sit in a church like that and you still are living in sin? That makes no sense to me. You cannot sit in a church where the gospel is being preached week after week, where the full counsel of God is being preached week after week, and not be confronted with sin. And if you walk out and you're still okay with your sin, then something's wrong with the preacher and something's wrong with you. Either the preacher's not preaching or you're not saved. But you cannot hear gospel truth week after week, full counsel of God week after week, and do nothing about it. When the world sees the church behaving like the world, then the world has the idea that this is what the result of being a disciple of Christ is. We can live as we wish. This is the result of the gospel, then. Verse 12, he says, For I, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? The Apostle Paul points out that he's not judging outside the church, that's God's job. He's not judging outside the church, they are already in sin. We call them to repent. We call them to turn from their sins. But they are already under the judgment of God. Verse 13, God judges those outside the church. They already stand in judgment. The world stands condemned by God. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by, the un, who by, their, by their ungodliness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is already upon them. And he says in verse 12, it is not, is it not the, those inside the church whom you are to judge? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And he says to them in verse 13, purge, remove the evil person from among you. Don't want to judge? You don't want anybody to get into your business? Then you don't want to be a part of the local church. Then you don't want to, don't come in and say hi family to the church because you're not really family. It is our responsibility as healthy members of the local church to guard the gospel, to judge those who are in any way distorting the results of the power of the gospel. If we cannot say how a Christian does not live, then how can we say how a Christian does live? Amen? What meaning do our words have if we cannot clearly look at a person living in sin and biblically confess that is not a Christian life? And when we look at the true marks of a believer and confess, God is truly working in your life. Our Lord was so serious about protecting the church and those who will not repent of sin, that he gives us more steps in this process of church discipline. Verse 16 of chapter, eight, of chapter 18 of Matthew, if he does not listen to you, take two, one or two brothers, one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by two or three witnesses. How serious he is. And if, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. He is just taking it to the, to the extreme for the hope of winning that person, but also for the hope of saying to the church, this is not okay. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Remove him. Remove him. If he refuses to repent of sin, remove him from your number. Remove him. Don't let him or her think that they are, because of their presence in here, still saved. But point out to them that this is not the life. The Christian lives. Confront sin. If they refuse to repent, tell it to the church. And if not, exclude them from the church. Don't give them the impression that they are okay. They may attend another church. They may even keep attending. But the church has to recognize you are in sin. As a matter of fact, if you are ever in church discipline, we want you to keep coming. Please keep coming so that you can keep hearing the word of God. So that you can, by the spirit of God... Change and repent. How do we cultivate this, though? All of this sounds hard, doesn't it? It all sounds like, man, how do we begin to start doing that in this church? Here's a few things that that we're going to do that we are praying the Lord will help us with. Number one, receive God's word with meekness. Receive God's word with meekness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Question. What did it take for the person who was confronted of sin to recognize his sin and turn from his sin? What did it take for the person who was confronted of his sin to recognize his sin and turn from his sin? Surely there are a number of factors that we could suggest. We also must or we must First and foremost, say, well, he must have truly been regenerated, right? Only a truly regenerated person would turn from their sin and recognize it or recognize it and turn from it. He must have been aware of God's word and that he was in opposition to God's word. All of these things are true. But there's another important factor. He had to be a very meek and humble person to be able to hear God's word and say, yes, I bow my knee to what God has said. Jesus said in Matthew, chapter five, verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James one twenty one, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness or rampant, rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When God's word is delivered, we are to receive the discipline of his word with humility. It may be formative, it may be corrective, but if it is God's word, we have no other response but to bow our knee in submission to what God has said. We must resist the temptation to hear God's word and arrogantly refuse to bow our knee. Or to somehow take God's preached word, declared word, personally, as if we were personally being attacked. Isn't it funny? There's been people who have come to me many times who have said, hey, uh, did so-and-so talk to you? About what? Because everything you were saying is everything that I've been going through. And I thought you were talking about me. No. God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it cuts joint spirit and marrow. God's word does the work. How do you know that you're receiving God's word with humility? Here's a few questions I'd like to ask. What is your posture when God's word is proclaimed? Think about it. Are you defensive? Are you combative? Do you seek more proof? Will you only receive from one preacher? Or do you completely submit to his word as it is faithfully proclaimed by men of God in your church? Here's another question How do you judge truth? Do you judge truth by the way you feel? That makes me feel good. I like that. Ooh, that hurt. It's funny, I, I, there's some people who come to me and say, I like, I like those hard messages. I like those hurt messages. And I walk away from that conversation saying, what is wrong with you? You're weird. Do you judge? I mean, everybody wants, uh, you sounded like, and this is for some, for some, man, it reminded me of Paul Washer today. If you don't know who Paul Washer is, he's the guy that kind of just gets the knife in and turns it every single time. That's ridiculous. You should be able to hear the word as it comes, no matter how it comes and receive it with joy. No matter if it's one of those ones that, oh, that was a hard one or that was a joyful one. No matter what, it's God's word. So take it. How do you judge the truth? Do you take God's word and do you let God's word form your feelings and form your traditions? That's the way it should be. You don't come in with traditions and say, well, I'm going to form God's word to my traditions. God's word forms your traditions. God's word forms your feelings. It tells you how you should feel. Next, are you seeking entertainment? Are you looking for creative sermons? Do you want more applications, more stories that you'll be more interested? I knew a person, I'm sad to say I'm related to that person, who said he loves when preachers tell stories. Because they remember the stories more than they remember anything from God's word. How sad is that? They remember the small little antidotes. They remember once upon a time more than for thus saith the Lord. Are you listening for philosophies? Or do you want to know God and understand his word in its truest, purest meaning? I pray that's the case. Here's another one. Do you have pet doctrines? you come to hear only what you want to hear? We had a man who was a part of this church many years ago, by the grace of God many years ago, who was consumed with end times. All he wanted to hear was revelation. All he wanted to hear was signs and this and this and that. And if that wasn't being preached, he was uninterested. If that wasn't being preached, he was bored. And he eventually, by the grace of God, left. What about you? Are there things that you have that you want to hear and that you only want to hear? Or do you desire to come and hear the full counsel of God? If it is from God's word, then preach it, brother. All of these things and so much more are indicative of a heart that is humble before God, that is willing to be formed and shaped by God's word. Healthy church members live their lives in such a meek and humble way. Secondly, this is how we form this in our church. Let us receive discipline as evidence of God's love. Let us receive discipline as evidence of God's love. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he loves. Brothers and sisters, discipline is an act of God's love. It is not evidence of hatred. Rather, it is evidence of love for you. The purpose of the Lord's discipline is that we might grow in holiness and spiritual maturity. Amen. Amen. When we experience discipline in our lives, let us seek to understand the holiness and the maturity that God is working on in our lives and calling us towards as we do what? As we keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews twelve twelve or twelve two, verse 7 of Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Amen. You know. Kids who were not disciplined by their parents and how they act, right? Yes. Don't look at me and say your son is one of them. He's not. He says if you're left without discipline in which all you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. You know how hard it is for a father Who has a child that is not legitimately his. How hard it is for him to discipline that kid. And how hard it is for that kid to receive discipline from that father. What is the response? You're not my dad. And what does the father or mother usually do? They take a step back to the one who is legitimately their parent. And that is not to be the case. Especially when it comes to the local church. In this local church. The word of God. Is first, we also take a role in helping to grow people mature, in maturity and in holiness. That is our responsibility. The Hebrews, they were experiencing persecution because of their departure from Judaism to Christianity. In the midst of the difficulty, they began to question this. Did we make the right decision? Their, par- their families were shunning them, their families were turning from them, and they're saying, "Is this the way it's supposed to be?" I thought God loved us, and that God had called us to this wonderful thing called Christianity. Why is it so hard?" But they were not experiencing sufferings and difficulties because God was not with them, but quite the contrary, quite the opposite. They were experiencing suffering and a difficulty because God was with them. And he was using the suffering. He was using the difficulty. As a means to grow them in maturity and in holiness. Was it enjoyable? Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, but later. Sometimes not immediately. But later. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It produces a righteousness in your life for those who are submitting to the discipline of God. The Hebrews did not see the tremendous fruit that would come from the sufferings that they were experiencing, but they remained. And since they did remain, they would experience a maturity in their lives that they would not have known apart from those sufferings and that difficulty. Some of the hardest things in our lives produce some of the greatest wealth of maturity and knowledge and understanding in our lives. Some of the hardest things in our lives make us grow up a lot faster sometimes than we want to. But it is definitely necessary. And when we're experiencing this formative or corrective discipline, trust that it is God who is growing you up in maturity. And trust that those who are expressing any kind of confrontation or any kind of sin, confronting you of any sin, that they truly love you. We can never think that you're coming to me because you hate me. But you're coming to me because you love me. There was a a brother. ah, I'm just going to say it and, and sorry. There's a brother and I do love him. But his wife was standing next to me. So I wanted to see who loved him more. He had something on his face this past Sunday. And I saw it. And his wife was standing next to him. And I wondered, I wonder how long it's going to take for his wife to tell him that there's something on his face. I could do it. This is all the things that are going on in my head as he's talking to me. It's funny. He's actually having a conversation with me. And here's what the bubbles in my head are saying. I could tell him of these things that are on his face. But I want to see who loves him more, his wife or me. And as the next bubble began to pop and as the words began to type in my own mind, Sister Karina tells Arnold, you got something on your face right there, brother. Or honey. Honey. Wipes it off, and he didn't get it, but he said, thanks. She knew he didn't get it, but I didn't point that out. Number three, humbly accept correction from other members. Humbly accept correction from other members. We are not only to accept correction and discipline from God's word. We are to accept humbly correction and discipline from other church members. Again, how do you take that? Is there any kind of resisting in your heart right now as that statement goes forward? And if there is, then ask the Lord to soften your heart toward that. We are here not only to care, we are here because we care enough about you. But listen, not only to encourage you when times are difficult, but also to care about you enough to confront you with sin or about sin when it is necessary. Verse 15 of of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him it's fault between you and him alone. If you listen to you, you have gained your brother. How do we do that? Well, do it biblically. Make sure it's a biblical reason to come and confront that person for sin. Don't just tell them, hey, brother, the Dodgers, no. I really think that you're missing God there. The Yankees have, you know, 27 world titles. The Dodgers only have, what, less than five? Uh... I think you're missing God there, right? That's not a biblical, and I'm a Yankee fan. That's not a biblical reason to, to confront someone on sin. But find something that's biblical. Some way, some way, and not find, but make sure it is a biblical reason for which you are confronting them. Do it in love. Make sure that when you speak to them, you speak to them with gentleness, Make sure you speak to them with patience. Make sure you ask the Lord to give you wisdom, give you patience, and give you gentleness. Listen to our church covenant. We will edify one another with our speech and encourage one another with our example. Listen to what it says. We will humbly and gently confront one another when we are in sin. And we will receive correction from one another in accordance with a New Testament understanding of church discipline... And restoration this is in our church covenant. This is what you agree to when you join this church. The Bible says in in Proverbs 1 7 fools despise wisdom fools despise instruction. Let us be open to receiving correction, not just from leadership. Well, if Antonio tells me, then I'll change. You need to be able to accept correction from the person sitting right next to you right across from you, because this is your responsibility As members of this local church. To look out and care for one another. Amen. Brothers and sisters. If I'm wandering in sin. Sin that will destroy my life. That will destroy my marriage. This church and the reputation of Christ. Then I say with all sincerity. I yearn for you to confront me on sin. I desire for you to confront me on sin. Don't let me head down that dead end cliff thinking I was going the right way, and all the time you saw that I was headed toward a dead end. The last thing I want you to do, we want you to do, is to fold your arms and say, well, that's their problem. They're going to have to work it out. It is the height of callous indifference to watch a fellow believer head down a road of destruction and not warn them. Christ comes after us. We must go after each other. We must need, we must need, we need to begin to take responsibility for one another. We need, and, and your silence is, is important, I think. Because I think that this is kind of, for the first time, hitting home for some of you. Uh, pastor John said to me in the office that the form of church discipline that we experienced in our, in our former church was this. The pastor knew that someone was in sin. And maybe there was one or two other people who knew they were in sin. And at the end of the sermon, the pastor, after he had, um, in his own mind, preached in the Holy Ghost, would call that individual up. And call other people up to lay hands on that person. And in the process of praying for that person, they would begin to call out all the things that they are dealing with. Drug addiction, I tell you to go away. Alcoholism, I tell you to go away. And everyone who doesn't know what's going on now knows what's going on. Oh, he's struggling with all of that. That was church discipline. And the church never knew anything about it. When we left our church, the, ch- the church had no say. The church had no say in whether or not we should leave. No one called us back to say, you've got to come back. We've got to have a sit down together. Once the Pope, the little Pope, made his, his decision, everyone followed suit. That is not the way Christ has set up his church. I take responsibility for you. You take responsibility for me. If there was a brother who was suffering and in sin, then we go to that brother lovingly, gently, and we call them to repentance, to come back to Christ. And if they don't want to, then we take more people to show them how much we love you. Not just me, but we love you. And we try to call you back to Christ. And if that doesn't work, we bring the whole church together and say, we love you. Turn from this sin. If they say no, then we say, okay, it's going to hurt, but we're going to have to do what Paul says. We're going to have to turn you over to Satan and hope that you experience how dark it is out there and come back to the light but we love you and we are praying for you that's the way it should work people shouldn't just walk away and never say anything what kind of love is that what kind of true christianity is that where you reach out to them they won't reach back they won't even talk to you what in the world kind of christianity is that it's not christianity and they and they can go to other churches they can act like they're having a good time but they are still in sin They are still in sin. That's not the way that God has set up his church. But see, we care more about ourselves than we do caring about what Scripture says about what we should do. And that's where the danger comes in. As long as I feel okay with it, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Yeah, well, go on, Lone Ranger. That is not the kind of Christianity that Christ has set up for his church. I encourage you, brothers and sisters see go to somebody and say hey bro if you see anything in my life tell me i'm open to that go to a sister and say if you see anything in my life tell me i'm opening up that door for you listen you don't even have to open up that door christ has opened up that door christ has opened up that door he has made that authoritative it is just you make at least giving the courtesy i guess to other brothers and sisters and saying and i'm i'm submitting to that so Bring it on if it's there. Bring it on if it's there. I need that in my life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time in Your Word. We pray that it was edifying and that Your people, that Your people would respond with humility to this message. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.